Coming up, Microsoft, Meta, and you. From the Haunted Attraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. Green Tagged covers the top theme park news from each week. For haunt-specific programming, check back in our feed later in the week, or subscribe to our free Haunt Weekly newsletter. In this episode, we'll talk all about Microsoft's acquisition of Blizzard and what that means for the themed entertainment industry. We'll also talk about how two different attractions are taking different approaches to solving staffing. From our studios in Tampa, Florida and Los Angeles, California, this is Green Tagged, Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my co-host, Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development. Howdy, Scott. Hey, Philip. <clears throat> it's another week. Another week, and we got a whole bunch of new stuff to talk about. We do. Well, you know, we couldn't really do the show without talking about, I think, what has been sucking up all the news in the the whole space, mainstream media COVID? included. COVID? Yeah, well, not that one. The, the other, oh, we talked okay. about that one already last week. That was last week. I mean, the oh, other okay. big thing. The other big thing, you know, Microsoft's acquisition of Blizzard for $70 billion. Ooh. <laughs> that's billion with a B. Yeah, that's that's not that's not chump change there. They uh making a pretty pretty hefty investment here. Well, so that is a uh, part of it. It's a big investment. Um there's stories all about it, so I didn't I don't think we really need to cover the details of that because you can, you know, I'm sure people are already aware of it. Um it's not actually that much money for Microsoft. They didn't really take that much of a dilution for that. It's it basically was just change for Microsoft, which should in in and of itself be like be news and be terrifying that it didn't take cost them almost anything to acquire all of Blizzard. But uh, but anyway, it kind of fits in nicely with the portfolio they already have, and it's a big investment in gaming. And I I would also say it's more of an investment in IP, honestly, more to get IPs that already have established games. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is it kind of this seems like the the. In, in my opinion, it's one of the, the first like shots off the bow of this, like, we are really going to try and compete for this concept that everyone is labeling the metaverse, which, of course, I think will lead bleed into themed entertainment as it has already been doing, because we see that uh, Disney has already talked about previously this year, they talked about releasing a patent for trying to get into the metaverse as well. And of course, we've had people that have mentioned that the, this cross-section between the virtual and the real, uh, like Meow Wolf and that whole thing. You know, the, the whole concept of immersion has kind of been bleeding into that space. Ugh. What do you think, Scott? Well, I, again, I think this is I think this is same old, same old theory, new technology. Um, this is, we used to call it multi-level, you know, and now we're calling it metaverse. Um, it is, we have new technology, we have new abilities to share entertainment and tell good stories, but ultimately it is the same thing over and over and over again. It's being to tell, being able to tell stories in different ways, using different technology that has different levels of immersion and, and inclusion. Um, you know, I, I would love to say would love to say, oh yes, this is so groundbreaking. But what terrifies me is, I think more and more, and I think we'll talk about this in a little more detail later, but I think more and more companies are leading with the technology, not leading with the good stories. Yeah. And leading with technology is, is fleeting. Because um, that technology, the new technology becomes old technology very, very quickly. Um, it has to be compelling. Now, that said, I am 100% for the idea of, can I experience different parts of the story in different ways. You know, it used to be you'd, you'd, and 
you've heard me mention this for years, but um, you, you know, you'd, you'd read the book, you'd see the movie, you'd experience it in the theme park. Yeah. Um, now you add play the game and experience it with VR goggles or not with VR goggles in a virtual environment. Um, we're just adding new technology to an existing approach to entertainment that is becoming more complex because of that technology, granted. But when you pare it all down, it's telling different parts of the same story using different technology and in different ways. So, I, I mean, what am I missing here, Philip? Well, I want to kind of break this up. I think overall what you're saying about leading with technology and about it getting outdated, I think that's overall the inflection point because there's no further way, where are games going to evolve to? You know, gaming is a huge, huge industry. I think it's kind of overtaking definitely the areas that we work in for sure. Uh, it's it's massive, uh, especially, you know, when you look at it globally. And where is that going to go? You know, at some point you, you have to, you know, you can only make the graphics so good, right? You can only max out, like you're saying, the, the technology maxes out. So I think in terms of leading with technology, it's the logical next step. As in, where is this possibly going to go? How can it go any further? How can you make, you know, your 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 console and your stuff any more in any better with graphics? You really can't. You have to go into this direction. It's the only path forward. But, but I think, a, you know, from a theme park standpoint, though, isn't that exactly what what ever, what Disney and Universal and and all the big IP boys and girls have done with um with movies? They, they, how how much more how much more extravagant can movies get? Well, let's make it so you can live the movies. Sound familiar? Universal, nineteen eighty. Um, you know, it, it's it's the exact same thing. It's t it's just a different technology. Well, and I think that's that's why I think you're that that we're we're kind of seeing these two things get together because I think that on, on on all sides of this, the entertainment space, people are looking at it and saying, where can we possibly go next? And then they're kind of logically all getting into the same realm. But I think to separate all that, I think I think the bigger thing that I'd push back on is looking at this just in terms of entertainment, because I don't think that is Microsoft's uh, plan, and neither is it Facebook's plan. And I think it might be Disney's plan because Disney is basically solely in entertainment. entertainment but yeah. when it when it comes to Facebook and Microsoft. And even Google, when it comes to like the you know the, the big companies that kind of have more capital than countries, what they're trying to do is they are trying to take everything you do in your life and put it in a digital format. And the reason they want to do that is because they want more time to control your day. You know, you are look at how much time you already spend with your cell phone, and you know Facebook wants a piece of that. Facebook wants to own the rails of something that you use as much as you use your iPhone. And that's also what Microsoft wants. Microsoft wants you to use the same technology. You know, they have their whole teams, their whole business suite. They want business people and everyone to use this the same technology, the same software, if you will, to do everything from meeting with your colleagues and meeting with clients and working. So they want you to spend all your work day plus all your entertainment day with them. You know, and Facebook wants you to spend that entire time holding or plugged into or, you know, utilizing somehow interface with whatever hardware they decide. That, I think that's the bigger trend. Like that's ultimately, I think, where, what they want. I think the entertainment side of it is kind of a like a, 
uh, I don't know, like a fun way or kind of like that, you know, they're like, oh, look, it'll be so fun because games. And I'm like, that's not really what you're trying to do here. Maybe that's what Disney is trying to do. But you guys are trying to like touch someone's life all day. But, well, that's exactly what Disney was trying to do only when you, they were on vacation. I mean, being Florida based, when, when you hear Disney executive after Disney executive after Disney executive use the phrase eat, sleep, drink Disney, yeah. um, their whole concept is while you are on Disney property, Everything they, everything you do puts money in their pocket. That's exactly what this is. I mean, theoretically, it's no different. It's just on a much grander scale. So, you know, I, I think that I think that you're right. It's not just entertainment. But I think that the concept of I want to touch your life and I want to control the format of your life in every single element is is spot on. Um, but since our focus, you know, as as a a a theme park and attractions podcast, you know, it's something that has been done in, in theme parks. And I use Disney over and over again, cause they were the first ones to adapt it most successfully, but I think universal has done it as well. Um, and I think there are other parks who have done it to a lesser degree. Uh, but the idea is, yes, the idea is control. Um, but I think it's, and it's, it's what, honestly, it's what Apple tried to do. Um, so that because they made all of their, uh, yes all of their stuff so easily compatible with one another. And so it's, you know, it's coming down to another battle that I've seen before. It's nothing new. Um, the, this battle for, for ultimate domination of the platform. Um, it started in a much stupider way. Not, and I don't mean stupid as in not important. I mean, stupid as in less technological when, um, you know, when, uh, Betamax tapes went out of style, when 8-track tapes went out of style. Um, there was always that battle for, let's make sure our uh, our platform or our, our um, way of producing this information is the industry standard. Granted, technology has has moved forward vastly. Um, and by, you know, by purchasing, by, by, by Microsoft purchasing Blizzard, it's clear that they're trying to control the content, which they right. then ultimately will control the way it's presented to them. I mean, yeah. part of my frustration being a, being a Mac user, part of my frustration with Microsoft is it's crap on a Mac. Um, Microsoft Teams gives me nothing but grief on my yeah. Mac. By and, <laughs> and, it's, and it's designed to do that. So, yes. <laughs> so what, what it does for me is it actually drives me away from them. And I think you're going to see more and more of that. I think you're going to see more and more because um, what, what actually got, because Apple was the same way. What actually got them more popular is when they made it easier for some of the other produced uh, stuff. You know, when all of a sudden I can open a Word document on my on my laptop, that made it very viable for me to shift shift everything over to an Apple product. So, and again, I realize yes. I keep taking, I keep dumbing it down. I realize this is far more um, high level than than I'm making it. But the theory is the same. It is domination over control of the platform where you are receiving information. And whether that is control of that IP information or how you receive it or the kind of tape that it sits on. You know, I mean, I'm old enough. Yeah. I still have I still have laser discs. So, you know, uh, no. it's, yeah, it's yeah, nothing yeah. new. It's just new tech. I, I think that I, I kind of agree with the majority of that. I think that the way I would reframe it is that the inner, you know, ba basically they're whoever <laughs> collectively, if these companies come together, whoever like figures this, you know, 
thing out first. You know, they'll they'll get the first mover advantage and they'll kind of get to define what the reality of that will become. Just like right now, you know, you mentioned we mentioned Apple and Microsoft and Android. Like, I mean, look at th- there are not that many operating systems that computers work off of, and everyone kind of has to play by those operating system rules. And someone's going that's the game here. The game is to come up with an operating system that will run the metaverse, right? And whoever the, the the two or three companies that put that together to your point at some point they're going to have to make stuff that's interoperable you're going to have to be able to go from the the different you know whatever things but someone is going to write that base operating system for the net, for the metaverse and whoever does that is going to write the rules of the game essentially they're going mm-hmm. to you know, because there's no laws around this right now so they're going to come up with their own laws and you know we're going to it's just going to be interesting because entertainment in a way will be dictated by the rules of the platform that they create, if you lead with technology, which I think Correct. was your original point, is that because Correct. people are leading with technology and not leading with story in this way, they're going to be at the whims of the wh- whatever Microsoft decides for their operating system. And to and to a certain extent, I think that's why Microsoft is buying up the IP content because technology yes. is going to fade, right. but the IP is potentially eternal. You know, the IP is something that is not going to to wane as the technology becomes more commonplace. And I think what's going to happen is also if you own the IP, then say a competitor comes up with a new platform that will run whatever it is that you are putting out there, you still make money off the IP. You know, you still make money off of the content, not the platform. So I think they're hedging their bets. Is what it sounds like to me. Yeah. And, and and as far as how that how does that apply to theme parks? Once again, do not just present your stuff in one way. Find more and more ways to get whatever your entertainment because entertainment is entertainment is entertainment. Whether you are a gamer, a theme parker, somebody who reads, somebody who goes to movies, entertaining people want to be entertained. And whatever that is, you know, the content, the story is completely in essence separate from the medium. And what it sounds like here is Microsoft is recognizing that. And initially, I think you're right, Philip. I think they're going to try to control the medium based on the popularity of the IP. Yes. But they're also looking at it going once, because they know too, you know, we're not geniuses. Yeah. They know that yeah. somebody else is yeah. going to crack the code. And yeah. uh, and they're then saying, well, yes, but we own the core. Yeah. And to me, that's what's most important. Own the yeah. core. Or create well, your own core. Like our friends at Meow Wolf. Yes, I was going to say, we have an interview here. So I think kind of corresponding to, to this announcement, of course, a Trashes Magazine did an interview with the Meow Wolf founder. And it's not that long of an interview, and it's all written out. Um, you know, in, in a, it's like one of those Q&answer, question-and-answer blog post formats. It's not very long. But there were three th- sections that really jumped out to me as kind of, I think, directly relating to what we're talking about. <laughs> and I'll read what they wrote here. The first part is, they said, the trajectory of humanity's relationship to story has clearly been towards an increase in immersion. Uh, we believe that fully immersive environments created through art and capable of allowing for personal choice are much more aligned with modern interests. That's point one. Point two is that spatial computing will transform all of our lives and in every aspect of our life, digital storytelling that is anchored in physical space is a natural progression of the trajectory storytelling has always been on. That's that's number two. And number three, 
We have very little interest in producing work based on popular IP. It is actually one of the most disheartening aspects of the themed entertainment world. We generate our own IP characters and worlds that are discovered anew. This is not only way more attractive for the artist, but I believe the consumer as well. Interesting. Do you believe the consumer as well? I guess, well, I guess then Disney, you know, I guess then Microsoft just wasted 70 billion, right? If the consumer doesn't care about IPs. Well, I, again, I think <laughs> a little snarky. So, well, but as coming from the 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 creative side, you know, because it is Scott Swenson creative development. I don't, you know, it's, I'm all about creating new content, and th I think they are 100 percent correct in that it is far more attractive for the artist, you know. Um, however, <clears throat> short term, yes, short term, I think. It is, it is something that is, well, it's a shortcut. It's a shortcut. If you've got something that people already know and you can buy it, great. There's IP. It's a shortcut. Um, but I think that even though when they say it's much more appealing for the consumer, let's face it, <clears throat> Meow Wolf is known amongst the, is known within the industry, but is still not a Microsoft. Correct. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so th th there's a, a great thing to like illustrate the power of what Microsoft just bought. Um, I, I read somewhere this this kind of thing about how uh, Call of Duty alone, which is just one of the things they bought for seventy billion, Call of Duty makes as much revenue a day as like the last Avengers movie. So mm -hmm. imagine releasing the Avengers movie, having an opening weekend for the Avengers movie every, every day, day forever. Yeah. yeah, and that's one of the things that they just yep. bought. And no. I'm like, how many people know of like Meow Wolf versus like, you, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's not a, it's but incomparable. I say, but I will say that by creating their own IPs for other people to discover, um, they then own these IPs and somewhere down the road, they can sell them to other people. Somewhere down the road, they can, you know, uh, market and franchise their concept. I... I'll be honest. As a as a creative, I think Meow Wolf is just fascinating. Um, I, I think it is. I think it is sort of a combination of um, the 1960s uh, free thinking artist mentality, and and then lay that on top of the the, the current approach to completely immersive and and higher and higher tech. Um, I think it is the artist and the tech infusion. Um, you notice what's missing there is business, but I think they've got some of that going too. I can't. I think what's missing there is story. I, oh, I, 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 I and I, I, I think his perspective. No, I, 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 I disagree. I disagree. Oh, I disagree I entirely, which is good. I mean, it's glad we disagree. I also think that their their description of the situation is woefully inaccurate. And he doesn't like. It's like in one sentence they're like oh, we think it's obvious that the trajectory of humanity has been going to an increase towards immersion, which is kind of counter to what you said, because it's more like humans have always loved its stories. It's not like humans have always been trying to make their stories more immersive. That's not true. Why are we still writing books then? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, then why do we have books still? Well, okay. So let's, let's, let's take that. Books, which then became movies which then became games, which then became theme park experiences, which that, I mean, we, they're right. And what, but what, what's happening is it's a pendulum. It's a pendulum that's going to constantly swing back and forth. And I think that the reason we still write books, the reason books are still written is when you're reading a book, 
and you're by yourself, it is immersive. You, trans you transform yourself to somewhere else. If you don't have the ability to do that, then you need goggles to make that happen for you. Um, yeah. I think that, I, I see, I think they're 100% right, and I don't think it's in, co in contradiction to what I was saying. I think it's exactly what I was saying. We are continuing to want to live stories. I mean, to me, you, you, you look at the... So let's take let's take the 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 now passing phenomenon and sorry escape room owners but of escape rooms, you yeah. know they went from a digital medium to a real life medium back to a virtual and digital medium. Why I don't know, but it is still an immersive experience where you have to interact. Um, I think people love to interact. Why do you think movies back in the 70s started to add sense around, which would make your seats shake? Or in the 1950s, they would add special effects because people wanted to feel like they were there. So I don't disagree, and I don't think this is contradictory to anything that we've said. People want to continue to find new ways, you know, to, to quote you from earlier in the show, when you said, what's next? The graphics can only get so good. Well, what's next is to make it immersive and so that you can just look somewhere and it changes the story. Yeah. I think what's next is like, you know, what we've been doing forever, which is write good stories and write better stories. Uh, and that's not even mentioned in what they do. They create environments that allow for personal choice. Nowhere in there is he talking about the importance of story in their environments or choice being related to the story. But um, if you have personal choice, you've got to be able to, you've got to be able to have a storyline and it's granted, it's a multi-tentacled storyline because I write these kinds of things. You yeah. have to create a story sphere, not a storyline. And you have to create the ability for the guests to navigate their way through the story. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah I, I think it's just a more complex story. I agree yeah. with you the fact that you have to continue to write stories, but I think that's what Meow Wolf does. I think they write very complex stories that people unravel on their own, just like um, Sleep No More has done, just like you know, Sleep No More <laughs> is a great story. It's just not everybody tells the same one. Uh, well, anyway, I don't want to get too stuck on this. Um, let's agree to disagree. I don't agree with any of that or the quality of any of that stuff, but... That's good. It's important. That's why we have this show, right, Scott? It's so that we yes. can like get yes. two different uh, perspectives. So Philip can be wrong. That's exactly <laughs> why we have this show. <laughs> so anyway, um, all right. So I think next section here, we have a few stories to go back to, that kind of recap on some staffing lessons learned. We talked last time a little extensively again about the staffing puzzle. And recently, Fun World put out a Staffing Lessons Learned for 2022, where they interviewed Palace Entertainment. And it, it was, a again, an interesting interview. There were three things that I took away from it that I kind of laid out in the show notes I think are quite interesting. Um, <laughs> the, the first is basically that they agreed to pay more and offer career pass, Palace Entertainment did. And the second was that they did kind of like rolling blackouts and they cross-trained. So what they did was they made sure that their staff could work multiple positions, and then they closed down some attractions, kind of like on a rolling blackout way. So that way, you know, people could still get to experience everything, just not throughout the day. And I kind of thought that was an interesting little tip. Um, and But I thought the most interesting part was where they were talking about building partnerships in order to reduce some of the staffing strain. And I'll quote here, they said, in some instances, we've partnered with local businesses to provide food trucks to meet guest demand and cleaning services to allow us to focus on the guest experience. We worked with industry partners to supplement maintenance staff as well. We are currently offering a volunteer program for our fall events that benefits local nonprofit organizations. So that, that to me is them saying they're, they're basically they're trying to substitute staff 
for volunteers by by partnering with local places so everyone kind of shares the pie. Now I thought those were really interesting tips overall to combating the staff situation. Um, the one thing I will add, just because I'm, I guess I'm on a rant today, I don't know, but before I get Scott's take on it, but my, my little like ranty thing is, uh, I don't think this is going to be enough by a long shot. I think they're missing the point. You know, I, it's like, it took this for them to just barely realize they should be paying. They're like, we looked at what other people were paying. We tried to make sure we also paid that. And I'm like, you hadn't been doing that before. And you hadn't been thinking about the long-term careers of people. There was no, like, there was no career. Like it, to me, I'm like, well, welcome to the uh, 1940s, which is when we first started going into uh, HR and staffing policy and all that. I, I just think that like attractions can't continue to pretend like we're, we're not like regular businesses. You know, we have to look at the best practices of hiring and retaining employees and start there and and then go forward. And so I, I, I do think they had some interesting tips and everything. I just kind of was a little bit like, well, yikes. Anyway, <laughs> Scott, what do you think? <laughs> Well, I, and so um, after after our last disagreement, um, <clears throat> this one I agree with you 100 um, percent because the reason the reason they any any company will lead with well we uh, we've increased wages because that is the easiest thing for higher manage for upper management to do is to increase wages. They don't have to look at work conditions. They don't have to look at um, treating yep. their people well. They don't have to look at benefits. They don't have to because all those things are sticky and expensive. So uh, they will automatically say, well, we've increased wages, which means that they've gone up, you know, the, the individual will go up, you know, any it, less than a buck, usually, in most cases, when they say increased yeah. wages. Now, exactly. this may be, yep. this may be a, a bit more drastic because of the situation. What I do, what I am yep. pleased with is that they announced um, that they will also be offering career advancement options to existing staff. Because what that does... Yes is that's what's going to cause retention. So what I'm looking at is you get the sexy impact of short-term, we're offering more money. And the really more impactful long-term of we're offering career advancement options. Um, yeah. the, the rolling blackouts, I think that is an emergency stopgap measure. And yeah. I think, you know, hopefully that will go away. Um, because again, I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's, well, if it's sustainable, it's got to be sustainable because guests accept it. You know, yeah. I used to say that guests would never accept t uh, time ticketing, which, of course, now they do quite comfortably in many locations. So um, I'm, I'm hoping and if that is the case, you know, maybe they maybe they find a way to open only have two thirds of the park open at any given time. So they yeah. just rotate through. Yeah. Who knows? Um, and then partnership. Um, duh. I, theme parks have been doing this for as long as I've been in the theme park industry. Yeah. Um, they've been utilizing outside services for things like um, the food trucks for culinary, I think is interesting. I don't, I, I, I guess now it's, it's a very viable option, but as, as far as using outside um, management or outside teams to, to do cleanliness and um, to do maintenance. Yeah. You know, that's, that makes yeah. complete sense. Um, the interesting thing is it actually costs more yes. than to hire internally. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> it costs more to use outside people. However, um, I do appreciate the fact that they're recognizing it's more important to get it done and pay more for it than to just leave it so that it all goes to crap because yeah. that's the guest experience that, that starts to go down. And we've seen this in, in theme parks 
some major theme park chains have ebbed and flowed over the years as far as their park cleanliness, as far as their guest experience. And you can almost track that to, um, to, to, well, we've taken all of this internally or we've had great expansion, one or the other, but it's staffing. However, whatever the staffing issues, when there are staffing issues, the park quality goes down and then they, they rechange. They either get an outside company or they readjust the, their spend so that the, the park, continues to to stay um, on on par for the guest experience. And as far as volunteers, I love this idea. Yeah. Um, I we actually did this at Bush Gardens uh, in the well, let's see, early to mid 2000s is when we started it and we would use it as a way to connect to the community and and provide additional help while making money for a, even things like a fraternity or a sorority or, or whatever, just to add additional bodies when we needed them. And it was also a connection to the community so that those organizations and supporters of those organizations actually came out to a for-profit experience. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think they're doing anything wrong. I agree with you, Philip. It's a little bit too late to kind of go, yeah, we're going to yeah. pay people more and give more. No, that's that's been a, a duh since the 1940s. It's increase, improve work conditions, number one. Make people want to work there and not just for a paycheck. Yeah, and that's a perfect segue, uh, not just for a paycheck, <laughs> into uh, some someone who I think is doing something pretty unique, which is Dollywood, of course. <laughs> and so Dollywood announced a Care More initiative this past week on the 19th to celebrate Dolly Parton's birthday. And... I'll read here from the press release. Uh, to celebrate Dolly Parton's birthday, Dollywood announced the creation of a Care More initiative in honor of her lifetime legacy of philanthropy. Employees are encouraged to serve at the nonprofit of their choice to recognize Parton for the way she contributes to others each day. The day of service, which can take place in any nonprofit, will become an annual tradition for Dollywood employees. Employees who take part in the Care More initiative will receive a day off with pay to participate and fulfill their nonprofit service. Investing in the people. This is something that that Dollywood has done um, for a very long time. They've really led the way, from my experience. They've really led the way in this kind of thing. So um, that is literally putting your money where your mouth is. Like that yeah. is probably the most impressive press release I have read from a park this year. Well, that's not saying much, but you know, like maybe last yes. year too. I don't know. <laughs> it hasn't been in the last twelve months. Let's put it that way, Philip. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's probably fair. Um, no, I, I I love it, and and Dollywood has always done this. They also have a fund which um, people can contribute to that helps their employees in need. Um, they invest in the people. They, yes. they recognize that the people are a phenomenally important aspect to what they do, and they invest in them not just in money, but also in giving them opportunities to grow and enrich their lives. Yeah. Well. Gosh, that's the, what a way to end. Grow and enrich their lives because we're out of time once again. Um, we never cover everything that we plan to cover. That's why we're smiling at each other going, yeah, well, okay, we didn't get to that yet. Um, but anyway, uh, our time is up. And uh, so hopefully you have uh, enjoyed the show. Um, the, before, before we leave, um, Philip, you're in the midst of working on a, uh, helping the, uh, on a survey. And I, I know you wanted to, to mention that before we go away. Mm -hmm. Yes. The survey that we're doing with the Ohio Trash Association is still open. It's going to be open for a little bit more than a week still. And we have had a good amount of participants. We've had over 60 people already fill out the entire benchmark study, but we would like to get to 100 attractions. And you don't have to be, you, you, you do need to be kind of an owner operator because they are very advanced questions. But 
it can be any attraction that does anything for Halloween. It doesn't have to be a haunted house or a theme park. So you can kind of be anywhere in there. And the benchmark survey will really help us understand Halloween more broadly and help all the attractions to understand budgeting and to help us uh, lobby for the importance of Halloween. So anyway. and do keep in mind that they're not going to ask you for any proprietary information. They will be asking you for yep. percentages and, and that sort of thing. Yes. So mm -hmm. don't worry that your information is going to be unsafe or utilized in a way that is is inappropriate. So anyway, um, make sure you fill out the survey if you have anything to do with Halloween. Um, if you enjoy the show, please spread the word so we can get more and more people to listen here at Green Tag Theme Park in 30. Until next week, this is Scott Swenson and my co-host, Philip Hernandez, saying, see you next week. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.